In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and looking to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Parascience himself, Steve Parsons, and the world-renowned Ben Helsink. So here you go. I have no clue what's going on half the time. At like two seconds before the show, and I don't even know who I have for a guest. Um. Well, two seconds before the show, I was sitting in a car, and Cal phoned up to say, "Help! I'm trapped in a car." <laughs> so we can blame we can blame Cal for this, then, right? Yeah, blame Cal. Why not? <laughs> um, I, actually, actually, uh, Mister Karnaki, the Ghost Finder. Um, <laughs> oh, I like that. Why don't we? Uh, I don't know if we've got a guest. Um, why don't we field field questions from the chat room? We could do that, but I do have a guest coming on because oh, you I'm do? like ah, I'm Cal like. You know, I am Van Helsink. Oh, Cal said we didn't have a guest, so... I make things happen. Cool. Unbelievable, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm much stronger than you'll ever know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you, uh, you ever do uh, table tipping? Uh, I've done my fair share of table tipping, yes. Seriously? Seriously. And did you ever have any experience, or do you think it was all pretty much controlled by someone? Uh, I will refer you to what Faraday discovered in the 1850s. Oh, can't you speak for yourself? Never mind these old fogies that are long dead and buried. Well, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm going on. Uh, I have never personally experienced any situation with a, til- with a table uh, that's tilted that can't be reasonably explained. Okay. Um, however, I'm very aware of accounts dating back to the 19th century where, and photographs indeed, that uh, appear to show tables completely levitating or mm-hmm. up on one leg. Really? So, jury's absolutely out. But Faraday did do some experiments which showed that the uh, power to move the table came from the sitters. Now, that could be argued that they're pushing it, or it could be mm-hmm. argued that they are simply supplying the muscle power to the spirits. That good and, answer? Uh, you know, I mean, that's the, the, the thing is, um, I mean, it's great to go back to our past and past studies and say, okay, this is what this is what that study has. I mean, it's a good guide. But, I mean, when it really gets down to it, is, isn't what science really doing, not just relying on the past? Well, we rely on evidence for sure. I, yeah. Uh, all investigation does. And the only, say, the only reason I refer to Faraday and the earlier experiments is because mm-hmm. 
to be honest, the the only substantial table tipping uh, that took place on any scale was by the the spiritualists in the late 19th, early 20th century. It sort of fell out of vogue. And they, the results that the, uh, they were claiming were, by comparison to today, uh, modern modern investigators are, mm-hmm. are pretty rubbish at table tipping compared to their, <laughs> their forebears. Uh, I mean, you know, there are reliable reports of table elevations, of getting a table up on uh, three legs up in the air, um, you know, reliable accounts, and accounts not just in darkness, accounts in full daylight as well. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that's something you don't see these days. Or you right. don't hear about these days. So, well, it, yeah, the, the reason I brought this all up is that uh, Teresa Lally, who wrote Lally, I guess it is L-A-L-L-Y, she wrote a book on uh, the beginning of table beginning, table tipping for beginners or something like that. Anyways, and she gave a uh, a uh, class at uh, Circles of Wisdom in Andover, and she invited me to attend, and I did. And it, you know, it was it was an interesting experience. I you know I looked. I mean, I. You know, I was an observer, was not an observer, I was a participant. So that makes a huge difference. You always, always remember that. It's, it's actually two different ways. If you're observing versus participating, it's, it's totally different. It's not the same. Do you agree no, or I, not? I, I agree totally. I, I have participated in many, many table tipping sessions. Right. Um, where, I mean, I can be 100% sure I'm not consciously pushing the table, but, right. you know, everybody else will say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all I can do, all I am, is guy trying to be completely open-minded. There is, right. there is a lot of very good evidence to suggest that the table is being pushed and shoved around by the oh, city. Sure. But there's also a lot of good, substantial, uh, anecdotal information and evidence that, you know, in, under certain circumstances, in certain seance circles, the table has done extraordinary things. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen that. I've only got the accounts of it from the early works. But, right. you know, by, by modern standards, um, the early table tilters were much better at it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know we got our guests on the line now, so I, I don't want to go too far. But I, I do want to mention one thing. I, I, I could get back to some of the other stuff before. But at the very end of the evening, the table became upright, which means it was uh, feet first in the air. And it was on, like, the, the tips of everybody's finger fingertips. It's just a phone call from the dead. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, so it was on the tips of the fingers. And the, the table wasn't around. It was kind of like... They call it hugging, where they would the legs go around the neck of the participants, right? So I made a conscious effort. Okay, this is me making a conscious effort that it would not do that to me. Okay, so there were. Let me see. One, two, three, four girls on a table and myself, and so. It tried to come to me a couple of times, and I actually repelled it. And then eventually it, the strength became so strong that it actually pushed me back backwards and kept going farther and farther until I was pushed against the wall, and it just penned me. Um, so I, I found that interesting only because I was consciously trying to repel that table, yet I was still overpowered, I guess you would say. Mm. Well, I, I, I haven't had that experience, and mm. 
you, what you know, the experience you had was entirely. Uh, you are the best person to judge. Um, mm-hmm. Obvious, obviously, a skeptic would would come up with a different point of view. But personally, you know, there's there's evidence for and against, isn't there? And so we're yeah. stuck in the middle, and we have to. I think the best thing to do is is accept the evidence and see where that leads us. Anyways, let's get our guest on the line. He's been waiting patiently for, let's see, uh, he is the author of uh, oh, about a dozen books, including uh, Haunted New Hampshire, Haunted Massachusetts, Haunted Vermont, Haunted Connecticut, uh, Ships and Shipwrecks, uh, Ghost Ships or whatever, uh, Banded Villages, and he's a paranormal investigator extraordinaire, none other, none other than Mr. Thomas D'Agostino. Hello. Oh. How you doing? Good. And also with me, Tom, is um, Mr. Parascience, Steve Parsons. Uh, you might have known him for his brief stint, and I do say brief stint, on Most Haunted. Yeah, oh, I was yeah. only the okay. stunt double. Good evening, Hello. Tom. <laughs> and and Tom, is, uh, Tom has been investigated for how long, Tom? 30 years now. Wow. <laughs> you need a medal. <laughs> there should be. There should oh, be. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I think, it's like but <laughs> yeah, I think the three of us have been at it for a very long time. There should be a long service medal, shouldn't there? <laughs> if, yeah, if they were going to give a long service medal, then I, my last gentleman that I had on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation um, should get it. He is Mr. Richard Sennett, and he was around investigating when Hans Holzer was here, and that was before the internet. They actually corresponded by telephone and letters. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, but, but Thomas and I, we've both been around since before the internet as well. So, you know, oh, we're, yeah. uh, <laughs> Tell him, Tom. I was around when they were sending smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> about the paranormal to actually investigating and then the next step to write about it. Uh, how, do you, how, how did that journey begin? Well, a long time ago, um, I, I grew up in a haunted house, but uh, of course we weren't doing investigation and everything. And as I got older, uh, yeah, I was studying a little bit, but then I lived in another house for six days where the wildest stuff happened, most unexplainable stuff which caused me to start studying the science behind what was going on. So I studied all kinds of physical sciences and social sciences and, you know, astronomy and things like that in the hopes to see what, you know, if there was any clues as to this uh, thing in the paranormal. That's when I started investigating. Of course, that was 30 years ago. And as I started doing that, I started logging all the things I, you know, all our investigations and everything, even legend trips. I started writing them down. And before I knew it, people were asking me where to go, what to do. And that's uh, when I started writing the books. So, what do you, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Steve, what do you think of that? I mean, this isn't that the proper way of doing it right off the bat? He starts writing things down. That's the one thing that probably nobody does. I think that's absolutely spot on. To you have to document absolutely everything, um, and he has the advantage over me. I've I've also been investigating for well, not quite thirty years, but 
well, I don't know though. It's getting close. Um, but I haven't, I haven't yet um, written any books. Um, I don't think anybody'd read them anyway, which is probably why I haven't. So oh, I writing would, books is I a great way, of course, be. of sharing the information. But we live in the internet age, and I've I've taken taken the 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 lazy way out. Oh yeah, online. Uh, we have our group have a website, so um, people can read our our investigations there. But I'm, I'm a great collector of books and a great admirer of of those who have actually taken the the trouble to write books. Um, and so, uh, very much hats off, hats off to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I I did it because people just wanted to know where to go and. Instead of me telling them where to go, I could tell them where to go. <laughs> you know, I could just write down everything, and they could say, okay, yeah, here it is. Cause, I mean, I used to play in the bands and stuff, and we'd be playing, you know, at these bars and places, and they'd be go, where can I go to go go on this? And I'd be writing this stuff down on napkins for them. <laughs> yeah. Your, your books, Tom, Tom, your books, are they... Are they uh... Do they mix in the accounts of the investigation with a, a gazetteer, a guide to where to go as well? Yes. Um, what it does is it, it'll mix in, like, the stories of the places. And, and when we did investigations or anything like that, we put, uh, you know, any findings for the most part and uh, the history of the place and the haunts and then the directions. That's, that's yeah. We have similar books here, uh, County by County. Uh, Richard Felix, who uh, who Ron knows, and I guess you know quite well from from Most Haunted, he's one of uh, he's written a, a large series of books which divide um, Britain up into counties. Um, he's also done them on DVD. Oh yeah. Um, oh. I was just thinking maybe Tom could uh, get together and make a DVD because they're quite popular. Oh, there you go. Have you not <laughs> thought of? Have you not thought of? <laughs> Doing something by way of you know uh, the the in front of the camera. No, actually, yeah. Tom's Tom's done several shows. He did uh, with PBS here. He did a show and uh, uh, a couple other ones. Tom, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, we're on doing a series, but it's just Rhode Island haunted Rhode Island right now, and that's a series of five one-hour episodes that uh, show. At different places in Rhode Island that are haunted, and we did um, a stint with uh, the PBS thing, things that go bump in the night, and uh, the tales of haunted New England. And then I, I was on what is that, my ghost story? I think it was. Oh <laughs> yeah. God, no! <laughs> yeah. Can, can we get that here on UK? Twelve seconds. <laughs> is it is it available on YouTube? <laughs> I think so. Oh, yeah, there's also a movie on me, and I forgot about that. It's called The 49th Key, The Curse of Dudley Town, or Dudley Town Curse. And um, it's to. coming out this year. Yeah, Dudley Town Curse, The 49th Key. I'm in that movie. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> can we, can well, we I'll have to get your autograph no. next time I see you. I, I, didn't think, I didn't think this was going to go anywhere because it was an independent film, but it's actually being released. <laughs> Ron, can we put a link up onto the chat room for people? Yeah. Uh, can I? <laughs> yeah, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure of the, the link, but yeah, is it on your website at all, Tom? Um, actually, I think that might be the uh, Haunted Rhode Island things are on the website. 
Uh, the link you can go to is just Dudley Town Curse 49 Key, and on YouTube they have a pile of trailers. And um, on our website, www.nepurs.com, we do have some links to go to the different shows and things, yeah. And the books as well. See, oh, cool. see, that's what we need on our show, Steve. We need a producer here to put this stuff up so it gets up there. There you go. Well, that, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that'll be for the future. I, I'm interested. Why? Um, because obviously, I, I haven't written a book. Um, what makes you make that take that leap from uh, collecting the information, collecting the the, the case uh, evidence, and then is it just to give people the information, or is it you know do you feel like some sort of desire to to write a book? It was um, it was a little of both because I, I really liked writing and um, as I collected everything into these notebooks it's like I'd like to organize this and then it came to you know if I organize this I'd like to be able to have other people be able to use these books and go out to places and see these things and that's when I started looking for a publisher I was very lucky I got signed after it was my thirteenth try believe it or not wow. <laughs> thirteenth publisher signed me. And um, from there, it was like, well, that was a lot of fun. Let's go to more places and see, you know, we can do with more things. <laughs> Is it, do you find that there are a lot more publications out there now? Because um, I'm guessing that when you started writing your books, it wasn't as popular as it is now. So you've probably got lots of other authors competing. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, my first book, they were leery on it. They had one book on ghosts or hauntings, and they said, well, we'll try it. Now the publishing company, Schiffer, my, that's my old publisher. I have a new one now. Now they have something like 90. Oh, yeah, at wow. least. It's not more. And that was yeah. only like five years ago. <laughs> well, it's obviously po as popular over there as it is over here. Um, there are there are just so many books. I, I guess that's one of the reasons why it's it's very difficult to write uh, a book about the sort of things I do because I don't think I could write a guide to places um, and a guide to how to do ghost hunting. I think the market's absolutely saturated. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah. In fact, you contributed uh, to Karen's book, I believe, right? Didn't you? Um, yeah, I've, I've contributed to quite a few, um, but I haven't actually written my own, which is, as I say, probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> I have had some, I've had some successes. Uh, only this week I discovered that one of my, um, uh, scientific papers is about to be published in the upcoming issue of, uh, the journal for the Society for Psychical Research. That means mm. quite, I mean, that, that for me is a big deal because, yeah, get it into legit. a scientific journal. Um, right. Means I've spelt it correctly. Exactly. It, so uh, that that pleases me. But um, hello, somebody said I wish Richard would come to Hull in the chat room. Oh, I thought he said <laughs> hell. <laughs> no, it says Hull. Hull. Oh, okay. I thought it was a misspelling. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've got nothing but admiration for people that that have sat down and taken the time and the trouble to to write a book. The interesting thing is, um, you know, you always try to be a little different, and publishers, 
you know, look for you to be different, too, which is kind of interesting. But then there are some that just don't care. They just, like, whatever you do, they do. You know, they really barely guide you. I think yours would be interesting, Steve, because, I mean, you look... a book on like all I mean I noticed you do these little bits on like you know the flashlight and and uh, you know a little EMF thingy pumpy or whatever it is and uh, I mean those in themselves you could be put together in in a nice little uh, uh, I don't know, guide or journal. I I don't know I I leave, I leave book writing to people who are, who are better at book writing I think the magazine stuff. Um, I- Probably better. The for thing me. is, you never know until you try. You just dig it right out, and you never know what you got. Mm-hmm. That's true. How many how many books have you published now in total, Tom? Oh God, N- nine of them wow. since two thousand and six. That's not bad going, is it? And you've got a couple as well, haven't you, Ron? Yes, I do. I do. I have uh, Ghost Chronicles and Ghost Today. I have two books. See, I'm I'm I, I'm surrounded here by literary geniuses. Yeah, that's well, that's what I am. A literary genius, I'm sure. I gotta admit, my first book really, 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 really sucked. (laughs) (laughs) The one that nobody knows about. (laughs) Go on, then. I wrote it and I gave my friends, you know, copies to read it and tell me what they thought. (laughs) And I told them to be honest. (laughs) It's really interesting, uh, Steve. I would have never written a book unless I had... uh, met Maureen, uh, who's a trans medium I used to work with, and uh, it, it, she was writing the same as me, and, like, we weren't disciplined enough, and uh, we did this uh, presentation on uh, ghosts and ghost hunting at the Romance Writers Conference, and it was, like, 400 girls in me, which was tough odds, but anyways, so that, that's where we found a uh, literary agent, and once we found that, we were actually signed a contract that pretty much did it. I mean, we just, uh, they gave us money, and here you go, that makes it worthwhile, you know what I mean? Did you say uh, romance? Romance, yes, romance. Yeah, I've um, to my to my. I said I've, I've contributed or helped out with some books. One of them um, was a romantic, a paranormal romance called Haunted Hearts, uh, where where they were. Um, I, I was the advisor to the author. That was quite uh, hidden on the back of the bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> One of those one of those Mills and Boons type. Um, she kissed him. He he kissed there. It all got hot and steamy, and there was a ghost in the room. In fact, I've never found it online. I've never found a copy on Amazon. So I might have the only copy um, in existence. There you go. Obviously, it wasn't a great seller. Yeah, obviously, it wasn't a great seller. Um, I won't I won't embarrass the author by mentioning her name. But, you know, it's interesting. The one thing I like, you know, a lot of times in the, in the States we get this thing about paranormal unity, you know, where everybody wants you to – I found out what paranormal unity is, by the way. It's, it means doing the legwork for someone else. Um, <laughs> they want to know how you get into places and the contacts and this and that and – uh, that's always the underlying uh, thing of paranormal unity, their, their goal. And, it, you know, I mean, it's, it, there are books like Tom's out there are quite specific. They give you all the information. If you just 
did a little bit of work, uh, but they want a directory. You can go on the Internet, of course, where they don't have to work too hard and uh, can just get all this information. I also think that we have a group, uh, well, like a collective over here. It's called Keeping... Let's keep the paranormal friendly. Um, <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of a... Yeah. There's an awful lot of people involved in the paranormal I really wouldn't like to be very friendly with. Um, <laughs> there's an awful lot of very nice people equally. Um, right, I'm but, surprised you talked to me. I mean, that's, uh, I'm amazed in that part alone. I, as I say, uh, uh, respect for your elders and betters, Ron. Um, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> they call it over here, is this, this movement for keeping the paranormal friendly. Um, and that's perfectly fine. Um, just don't, ex you know, I just don't want to be forced to be friendly with somebody. I'm sorry, if you can hear some moving about, the kittens got into the room and it's in a corner. And kittens oh, and really? corners, are, kittens and corners are never great, are they? So, so I'm just uh, is, it one, is it one kitten, Steve, or more than one? It's one kitten. How old? Uh, 12, 12 weeks, and although it's litter trained, I don't like it oh, in, the, in the room. So I'm just removing moving the offending kitten. Sorry about that. So, so, so does this kitten have a name, or you just call it one kitten? Uh, it has several names. Um, sometimes it's Any officially you can see on the air. <laughs> yeah, it's officially called um, Busby. Huh. Yeah. Or sometimes it's called Cooking Fat. Or <laughs> go, fig go figure. Or sometimes it's just called uh, Kitty Bits. Kitty Bits, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I assume you're a cat lover then, Steve. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, I think cats are cool. I'm, I'm never a great dog person. But, Me neither. Uh, oh, my God, we have something alike. Uh, well... <laughs> There you go. I think Tom likes cats, too, as well, don't you, Tom? Yeah, we have three of them, three and a half. Yeah. yeah. But, so, I mean, we're all cat people. So do we find at times that cats react kind of oddly to perhaps something supernatural? Absolutely. Well, go on. You just can't throw that out there. You have to... <laughs> we have, well, as you know, our house is haunted. And uh -huh. just to give a, I think, the uh, most recent example, last week, uh, we were all upstairs, including all three cats, who loves to sleep in our bed. We should have bought a king-size bed, but what the heck. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they're all laying down, and all of a sudden, I mean, there was a fish downstairs. And, you know, it's an open house setup, but there are things happening in there. And in this particular, if you can tell when something is weird and happening, when it, something happens, because all three of them perk right up and they all look in the same direction, and then you can see their hair starting to move. Mm -hmm. Well, is it, I mean, what are we talking about? I mean, do you have any verification that they're really seeing something or they're really experiencing something, or is it just the way they react? No, they, they both they react, and they, um, well, I've seen them actually, like Arthur would be, um, looking, all of a sudden he'll stop and he'll be looking at like he's watching something cross the dining room and then the other cats will walk in and they'll be on the other side of the table and they'll stop and look, but they don't see Arthur doing it. And it's almost like they're following something as well. And I'm like, I wish you could speak because I'd like to know what you're seeing. <laughs> well, I mean, have you ever tried to verify that they're actually seeing something? I mean, have you, I don't know, yeah, take pictures? <laughs> yeah, we have. Um... Um, the thing is, by the time I grab a camera or something, usually they're not doing it anymore. Or 
we haven't gotten anything on film except for one mist that was in going between the door. Well, you're gonna have to hold that thought. We, we, have to take, we have to take a break right now, so you're going to have to hold that thought. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the world-renowned Paris Science himself, Mr. Stephen Parsons, New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Collett, and our special guest, Thomas D'Agostino, right here on Pararex, Tojinet, Ghost Channel, and beyond. We'll be right back. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Actually, I was going to say, as a, as a cat um, lover, I'm sure you will both agree that cats are the embodiment of ghosts uh, because cats can walk through solid objects. 
and can, and can materialise and dematerialise at will, as every cat owner I know will, will uh, confirm. You put the cat out the back door, it comes down the stairs. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah? They, oh, yeah. They, they appear from nowhere. They disappear at will. We have they, one that they, appears they are, on our balcony. Are, we don't even know he gets there. Yeah, exactly. Cats are, in fact, ghosts. Um, in, there's There's been a... Um, I think over here, one of the Society for Psychical Research, the SPR researchers, used to say that uh, they, this ability of cats to bilocate and uh, translocate was was uh, called jottling. Um, they do seem hmm. to um, get around a bit. I don't know. It's just uh, I, I don't think mine is a ghost because he's scared of anything and everything. Well, you, you, you've never had experiences where you've, you've slung your cat out for the night and then it's, well, you've, you've, in the middle of the night, you've discovered it at the bottom of the bed. Uh, maybe. You have, haven't you? <laughs> the most interesting thing, though, speaking about if you really do cats are, are uh, uh, ghosts, is that when my I had my last cat, uh, had him for eighteen years, and um, he used to follow me around like a a dog all the time. And he'd wait for me out when I tell I got outside the shower, greeted me when I got home, everything. And he was totally devoted. And he died, and of course I cried like two days. But anyways, uh, shortly after he died uh, at night, I used to feel him run across the bed at night like he used to do when he was alive. And it's so weird because that continued to happen until I got my new cat, and then it just stopped. Wow. Well, it's actually surprising I think how many yeah. uh, haunted uh, stories there are attached to uh, ghostly cats. Um, they, they, they do, I was going to say, they crop up all over the place. Um, but there are, there's an extraordinary number of cases um, that crop up where people have, you know, they say that they've seen a cat, that they've tripped over a cat, that a cat's been present, that there wasn't a living cat in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cats and, cats and the paranormal have always been fairly closely associated. And, of course, you can't have a witch without having a black cat. Yeah, the familiar, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, every every Halloween, you know, what what's parked on the back of the of the broomstick with the witch? It's always the black cat. Yes, and, and and the interesting thing is 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 we know that that during the the Great Plague of Europe, uh, is that they went and they killed a lot of the cats because they believed that they were the evil that was causing the plague. Again, that's perfectly true. Cats, cats, of course, uh, in terms of um, links with with man, um, I've, I've often been revered by many cultures. The Egyptians uh, mm-hmm. had a cat god, Bast, um, and cats have, you know, always had that association. And I guess, you know, it, it's part of the. Whereas a dog is loyal and faithful, uh, a cat, uh, they say that. The, you, uh, the dog has an owner, but the cat doesn't. The cat decides who its owner is. The cat, we've had you know pet cats that have moved out and gone and lived next door or moved up the road. Um, you know, it's cats don't have any real brand loyalty to the to the uh, the house. They go where they want to go. 
Now, Tom, I, we have uh, we have Mark Nesbitt, who is Mister Gettysburg. Uh, if anybody, he's written a dozen books on Gettysburg. And he's he's always on any show that has anything to do with ghosts of Gettysburg. He's coming up here to do some events uh, on the twenty third, the twenty fourth, and the twenty fifth. Uh, Dining with the Dead, a cruise, and a ghost hunt with the old Mance. And he used to be a park ranger, and that's how he got into all this because of the access to the park and the and they started seeing things. I mean, our battlefields. Uh, first of all, Tom, have you investigated any battlefields that you believe are haunted? And and Stephen, and same in the UK, do they believe the battlefields in the UK are haunted as well? So uh, I don't know who takes this first, but let it go. Um, well, yeah, I've, we've uh, done some battlefields around New England from uh, King Philip's War mm-hmm. and French and Indian Wars and the Revolutionary War, and there are some that are definitely, I mean, historically accounts from various people throughout the, you know, years that uh, say it's haunted. Uh, we've been to Nyman's Misery. We've been to uh, Great Swamp where the Narragansetts were literally annihilated. And um, most of the time, I've, we haven't had anything happen to us, but, I mean, you hear the stories and you hear these people telling me and people who don't know the other people telling me the same things that they experience. It, it's, you know, it makes you wonder. <laughs> Certainly over here in the UK, we have um, uh, quite a history of haunted battlefields. In fact, um, one of the earliest accounts of a haunted battlefield goes back to sh- uh, the, shortly after the English Civil War um, at the Battle of... Edge Hill, um, and afterwards, many local people started to describe uh, seeing and hearing the sights and sounds of the Battle of Edge Hill, which was fought between King Charles I's Cavaliers and Parliament's Roundhead troops. Mm-hmm. In fact, the um, the King sent his commissioners to investigate the claims of the people that had that were seeing this battle, this phantom battle, and they actually recognised people, living and dead who had taken part in the battle and that were known to them. And they they, um, attested this as a fact to the king. That's Uh, right. That's actually in my book, Ghost Today, Steve, believe it or not. Sorry? That's actually in my book, Ghost Today, believe it or not. Ah, right. We also have, um, you know, we we have many battlefields uh, that are similarly reported to be haunted, but... Edge Hill is, is probably the very best known. Marston Moor is a place where I've personally investigated. Uh, I used to make a, a sort of annual pilgrimage there for a number of years on the anniversary of the battle, um, where it was said by the locals that nobody from the two nearby villages of Marston Moor, Long Marston, um, would go onto the battlefield on the anniversary because it was haunted. Um, and there are others, uh, Culloden, the, the one in Scotland, um, is probably one of the most haunted by reputation. And certainly I know people that have been there and claim to have had fairly dramatic and unusual experiences. They've seen um, figures um, wearing period costume. But, you know, you have to balance that with there are reenactors and there are interpreters on the battlefield who are in period costume. Uh, and it's a very atmospheric. Once you know you're on a battlefield, of course, I think part of the atmosphere takes over. Uh, when, you, you know, when you know all of the people that were killed there or you're seeing the burial, the burial pits, it is quite difficult not to get carried away by the emotion and by the experience. I, I think it is. 
Hmm. Well, I have to go teach now. Okay. <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> no, Tom, we thank you so much for dropping by, and uh, we do appreciate okay. taking uh, time out of your schedule for this. And uh, once again, this is Thomas D'Agostino. Your website, Tom? Uh, com. Yeah, thank you. It was really always an honor and a pleasure. I love it. And I'll see you up at SpurQuest in July. That's right, yes. And, Steve, very nice talking with you. Likewise, Tom. Thank you very much. Hopefully we'll see you sometime around. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe I'll write a book one day. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we can stay at our house in Connecticut. There you go. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Take care. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Oh, well. That was interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, battlefields, uh, you know, Richard always thought, you know, one of the theories that why ghosts are there is that uh, they die suddenly or, you know, uh, they don't know they're dead and so forth. And, and the theory is that, in, in of course, in a battlefield, uh, there would be a lot of sudden deaths and a lot of, of that. So he believes that perhaps battlefields are the most haunted locations on Earth. Um, I know Richard. Richard and I uh, did some filming at uh, Sedgemoor uh, Battlefield in Somerset, which was a oh, I've forgotten the date of it, and I'd embarrass myself if I tried to guess. It's seventeen something, or um, it was the last gasp of the, uh, the of the Monmouth Rebellion. Um, but we had we had a very interesting night. Uh, Making, uh, re, uh, we were actually on the battlefield during the over the anniversary, and Richard had brought along a period uh, flintlock pistol, mm-hmm. um, and he'd also, I think, word had got out that Richard Felix was on the battlefield at night, uh, <laughs> and there were quite a few people turned up, um, which of course, you know, it wasn't quite what we wanted, um, but nonetheless, I think it was. Um, I think a good night was had by all. There you go. Um, but as I said, I've spent you know quite a few days and nights on the Yorkshire battlefield of Marston Moor, and and indeed, just from the point of view of uh, personal exploration, not paranormal, um, I've visited many of the battlefields from from the Civil War and the medieval period. Um, we have you know we're a small country and we've had lots of fights. So mm-hmm. we, we, we do have plenty of battlefields on and around the countryside. Um, oh, hello. Um, some of Don't them actually, from the dead. Yeah. How, how, many, how many were lost at Gettysburg? Oh, God, you would ask me that. Uh, like 30,000, 35,000, some ridiculous figure. Wow. Because our biggest battle is uh, in Yorkshire, a battlefield of Towton, which is in the... Uh, 15th century, and I think there the, the, the death figures uh, ran into the 30,000s, which is said to be our, our biggest battle. I think that probably, the, to me, and, and I, I'm not, you know, I don't know this as fact, the, the number that died, but I know that one of the, the most amazing battles were with casualties was actually the Spartacus uprising in Italy. Uh, the the Romans had crossed the river and Spartacus forces attacked. There was, there was some ridiculous amount of people that get killed. I can't. I'm not, I'm not even going to throw a number out, but it it makes thirty thousand small. Let's put it that way. Say probably a hundred thousand. But 
the reason it was is that it, it they were compacted so much they couldn't even raise their arms to to fight. I I think battlefields are, are are an interesting idea because you have so much emotion and so much fear and so much aggression compacted into into a very small area and i know richard uh is a great believer in the stone tape in this idea that the earth and the 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 land around can absorb emotion and can record emotion and surely you know if 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 there was anything in that then far more so than a single a single act of uh, murder or something that a battlefield should literally be not only soaked in blood but soaked in emotion also. Um, what I what what always intrigues me is is that original report though from Edge Hill, um, because here you do seem to have quite you know intriguing evidence for some sort of recording being played back, Re- played back in a way that the living and the dead um, were recorded. That would suggest strongly that it's not just you don't have to be dead to become a ghost, that it is some sort of mechanism um, of recording rather than a mechanism of survival of death. This is true. I mean, uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it played up in the sky? I believe that was where the it could be seen more than anything. Yeah, um, it was played out, and it was also it wasn't just played out visually; it was also played out audibly as well. Yes, that's true. Um, so you had. Both, you know, the, the the visuals of the battle. However, you've you've got to say, um, I mean, the people that that went that were sent by the king were not stupid people, um, but their knowledge of uh, what we what we would consider normal is is somewhat limited. Um, and I, you know, you have to wonder: was there something else that they were experiencing that was causing them to to have this sort of experience, this hallucination? Uh, mm-hmm. Was it distant thunder? I mean, it wasn't related in time of year to the battle, was it? Because all of these events were seen uh, quite After close to Christmas, right? Um, so, you know, you can't say well the weather conditions were identical and the 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 humidity and the temperature was was identical to when the event took place so something else took place um we weren't there we've got the accounts and the accounts are quite are quite plain and quite clear as to what these people experienced and the experiences continued um you know up until i think some of the most recent ones that i'm aware of took place in the 50s and the 70s um but the the land is still ministry of defense land it's still military land uh, which is probably why not very many people have investigated it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's... But is that funny, though? I mean, you, you said that, you know, for instance, that you took... That you found that that, that battle uh, where the king's people... Was, I mean, that the, the eyewitness accounts weighed more than... Because they didn't have any equipment in them. They didn't have anything to measure. They didn't have any pictures or anything, but eyewitness accounts weighed heavily over I, equipment, right? Well, absolutely. Uh, and I, 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 I don't think that we should ever really put equipment uh, over and above personal accounts because we need to balance what we're doing in terms of an investigation between both. Because 
how do you measure, for example, pain? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in, term, in terms of the medical profession, they measure pain on a scale described by the patient. You know, from 1 to 10, describe how, how bad your pain is. Um, and that is the only way to measure pain. Um, and the only way to measure somebody's or to document somebody's paranormal experience is the, their account of it, their written account, their, their oral account. Um, and it's very easy then to, for a sceptic or for somebody to be critical and say, oh, well, you just imagined it, you hallucinated it. But that's, that's incorrect. That's an incorrect approach, surely. Um, you have to take that person's account and all of the other accounts and look for common features amongst them um, and factor that into... Because if, if 20, 30, 100 people are having a similar experience spread over a number of years, unconnected with each other, um, there is something causing those experiences and it's the what is the something that, that investigators should be interested in. Uh, when Kieran and I did some stuff at Oxford Castle, uh, we we said to people, just as a small side, uh, it wasn't an experiment, but I guess you could call it that, um, after people had had a chance to spend some time in the castle, uh, we asked people to go to an, go to area, you know, free time, go to anywhere where you particularly wanted to go to. Uh, it's your time, you've got a few minutes. Um, but what we noticed is there was a consistent avoidance of some areas where people were saying they didn't like it and these were in separate groups that that hadn't communicated with each other but for for some reason they didn't like a particular part of the castle um and they're the questions that are intriguing why is it that 40 people don't like something or 100 people have a very similar experience yeah, I know that's the thing. I mean, especially if it's independent, that to me, that weighs more uh, than if everybody's, you know, someone in a room said, oh, I see something, and then half or other dozen people say, I see it too. Um, I did an investigation at the Hooten Mansion, and I think I might have mentioned this, and that was about seeing a cat, uh, the ghost of a cat, and... Uh, uh, someone else in the same mansion the same night was also startled by a, a cat that wasn't there, a ghost. Uh, so here we had two different people that hadn't spoken to each other about anything. It was only at the end of the night that we later discovered that we had both witnessed a cat that wasn't there. So to me, that weighs much more than if we were both in a room saying, oh, there's a cat, and you say, yeah, I see him too. Don't you agree on that as far as... The independence certainly, of it. Well, cer- certainly, if you if you have independent uh, accounts, that is much more interesting. One of the coming back to the books as well. Um, mm-hmm. There is a great deal of information now available to people, and you know, you read stuff and then you forget where you where you read it. Uh, oh yeah. And it's you have to be very very careful that you know that the accounts are genuinely unconnected. Um, one of the things that I think we also forget about as investigators, um, and I'm not saying that people are fraudulent or that people are, uh, you know, perhaps uh, acting in anything other than, you know, uh, straightforward terms, but um, how many times do, do investigators deal with the fact that the medium 
or a member of the investigation team has got access to the internet via a smartphone um, and therefore can get information about a location very, very quickly whilst they're there. Hey, this is true, but do you think that that, that much of fraud goes on in, in this type of thing? Um, I have experienced quite a, a, a share of it, absolutely. Really? Um, I've, I've definitely, I have absolutely definitely seen um, both paranormal investigators and mediums, um, well, I call, they call themselves mediums, uh, committing acts of uh, fraud. But equally, you know, I've seen an awful lot of people who, who are absolutely genuine. I mean, fraud has been around ever since people, you know, from the earliest days of the Oh, since the beginning of the paranormal. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not a new phenomena, and I would be astonished if anybody said that they, you know, all of a sudden, um, nobody commits fraud, nobody sees fraud. Um, you know, people are still people. We haven't changed that much, and, you know, the, the paranormal has, has been, you know, has had its fair share of fraudsters and tricksters for, you know, since day one. I, they ain't going to go, and they ain't going to stop all of a sudden. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen tables being pushed. I've seen mediums tapping people uh, on the shoulders during seances. I've seen objects being thrown. Um, the whole gambit of, of different tricks being pulled. And that's why, I mean, for example, like the Maglite experiment, that was used on several TV shows um, as a legitimate, real um, spirit communication. Now, it's fraud because... The investigators knew knew exactly what they were doing beforehand, but you know, makes good, makes for good television. What, what was this again? Uh, maybe I missed something here. I was talking about the Maglite, which I recently. Oh, the Maglite. Okay. Yeah, yep. in Silent Voices, um, that's mm-hmm. being used on TV by by um, you know <laughs> mainstream ghost hunters on television channels. Right, the ghost, the ghost hunters uh, use it quite now, a bit. That's fraud. Do you think it's fraud or is it just mis, uh, wishful thinking? Um, if you if you deliberately set up a piece of equipment to uh, and manipulate a piece of equipment to do something, as I was doing at that public event, if you don't then tell people that it was uh, set up and manipulated, then you are mm-hmm. committing fraud, absolutely. And if a TV show purports or doesn't give an explanation then then that's absolutely fraudulent uh and somebody in the chat room's just saying that uh they've seen parapsychologists committing fraud because they get paid to turn a blind eye well that's not strictly fraud but it's it's condoning fraud um now whether uh you know i haven't i have i personally haven't experienced that but i have seen i have uh, seen situations where, on investigations, the paranormal uh, group has bent the rules a little um, mm-hmm. to give people a good experience, but without revealing afterwards that you know what they were doing was right. you know showmanship. I mean, I used to laugh at Karen when he was on uh, Most Haunted because uh, his excuses were more asinine than believing there were ghosts <laughs> on some of them. I'm not saying all of them, but I mean, I remember a couple of them that were, were totally off the wall. And, and he even admitted I always it. remember his, his, his best one was the supersonic fly. 
Yeah, that um, was a good one. <clears throat> where he described the small cut that had just appeared on Carl Beatty's, or apparently appeared on Carl's forehead, as being caused by a fly that had bumped into Carl. Now, I, I once did some maths um, and worked out that the fly must have been doing approximately four times the speed of sound. Wow, that uh, must have been amazing. Anyways, I heard the, the bell. That means pizza's here, so uh, we've got to wrap it up. So, so are you gonna anyways, be, are you I, there's a couple things I do want to mention. Who did, go ahead, uh, Stephen. I was just asking if you'd found Karnaki the ghost finder yet. No, I have not. Uh, um, I haven't been not. Uh, I have not. Um, I have a couple things I do want to mention, though, before we run out of time, and, and that is that Ghost Chronicles Next Generation is now on PowerX, and that will be tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on PowerX and TojiNet and Ghost Channel and beyond, as we like to say. And also, I would also like to mention that Mark Nesbitt, who is Mr. Gettysburg, will be here on June 23rd, June 24th, and June 25th. He'll be doing a ghost hunt at the historical Manson uh, Concord, and on Sunday night, he's doing a cruise up at our Portsmouth, and then Monday night is Dining with the Dead. Uh, you can go to all our website and uh, check out all those events at neghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. Anyways, no, I have not. I still don't know how to spell that. I mean, you, you want to give it to me right now so I don't forget it? C-A-R-N-A-K-I. N-A-K-I? Yeah. Carnaki. C-A-R-N-A-K-I. Stephen, I am going to look at this Karnaki character and see if they, they've copied my persona or not. I, I think they've copied, they've copied you. And I think that's what it is. I, mean, cause I think we, we are, know I've been around fact, forever. Karnaki the Ghost Finder. Mm, Karnaki the Ghost Hunter. Ghost Finder. 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 Yeah, I'm going to rename you. You're going to get rebranded. Oh, uh, that's good luck on that one. <laughs> Good luck on that one. So anything you want to add, Steve? Are you going to be anywhere doing anything that you would like to add? No, I've got uh, a week of writing lots of things at uh, the computer, uh, more infrasound stuff, but uh, apart from that, nothing at all. Enjoying the sunshine. And, and you mentioned this, uh, this, this flashlight thing, and where, where can people see that? Um, if you go, if you, uh, Silent Voices magazine, it's Silent Voices online magazine, there's a print version, but it's not in that. Uh, if you just Google Silent Voices magazine, and you'll scroll down the articles, and under my name, you'll find the Maglite Theory. Okay, Steve, thank you so much. Good night and God bless, everyone. Thanks for having me. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. You're listening.